Well, it is an absolute pleasure and honor, as uh, is it always, as it always is uh, when he is a guest of ours, to welcome the uh, president and Rosh Yeshiva of Orto Stone, or by Dr. Kenneth Brander, to our airwaves. Where Brander has this unique and uh, really unbelievable role this uh, this week. Uh, he is with Orto um, Stones. Baron Amiel and Strauss Amiel Emissary Training Programs in Cancun, Mexico, as they hold a conference of 42 of their North, Central, and South American emissaries to address ways to tackle critical issues affecting mainly smaller diaspora Jewish communities. All the way from Cancun, Mexico, or by Dr. Kenneth Brander. Shalom. Welcome back to JM in the AM. Thank you, Nachum. It's always a pleasure uh, to spend uh, any time with you, especially on a perm cut on a day in which we focus on miracles, which I am actually experiencing right now in a host of various ways. I can only imagine how that feels for you, because it must be miraculous, number one, just to see and participate in a gathering like this and see the effect that the students of your uh, institution are having in such a large region of the world, and on top of that, to see the work that's being done and the problems that they're trying to solve and the very difficult circumstances that they are in. Can you describe to us some of the things that have already, uh, that you've already witnessed as you've uh, visited with all these emissaries down in Cancun? Well, I mean, I think the challenge is obviously that the shlichim, the emissaries have in Teaneck, is different than those that they have in Monterey <laughs> or in other places. They're very different. But the, the, there's a larger narrative here, and that is how to help the spirituality and the continuity of the Jewish people. And what better way to do that than to have emissaries who are willing to give not a year or two, but four, five, six, eight, ten years uh, to the service of communities throughout the throughout the Jewish world. We have over 200 rabbinic couples like this. We're focusing now on North and South America. So some of the challenges, obviously, are people who um, want to come back to their Judaism, but they're already married to a non-Jew. So they have children which are halakhari called Mizera Yisrael, where the, where the father might be Jewish and the mother's not, but now they all want to return. How do you deal with those challenges? How do you deal with the challenges in a small community where people want to find a Jewish spouse, but there are just not enough men or women to uh, to be able to achieve um, that. And their struggles of how to do that, and perhaps creating a more global network to deal with some of these challenges. Or the issues of how do you build a Shabbos experience when not enough people live close enough uh, to the synagogue for Shabbat. Um, how do you teach Balei uh, people who want to return to Judaism to engage in a stepwise process and what are the important steps and what are the non-important steps. I just, uh, do you, someone who's uh, desecrates the Shabbos in a very public way, his store or her store is open on Shabbat, the case where it's his store open on Shabbat, do, are they counted as part of the minyan on Shabbat? All of these challenges, some are nitty-gritty, some are meta, how do you build a a school in a community where you'd have to accept non-Jews in order for there to be a critical mass. These are the challenges that are happening in Nebraska. These are the challenges that are happening in Monterey. These are the challenges that are really happening in the latitude and longitude of the Jewish community. In some ways, it would be easier to say, hey, listen, we have a state of Israel. 
You know, we have other places that are strong, Teaneck strong, other New York is strong, Miami is strong. But even all of those communities are struggling with issues of spirituality, and they're also requesting shlichim. Now, we have shlichim in Miami, we have shlichim in, in, you know, in Teaneck, and so there are larger narratives, and I'm inspired by hearing this group of people come together and trying to deal with them and oh. giving their hearts and souls to do so. I can only imagine how inspiring it is. Our Torah Stone, President of Rosh Hashiva, by Dr. Kenneth Brander, is with us live via telephone from this three-day conference in Cancun, and you heard him mention that many North American communities around and across this country are represented, uh, but many distinguished communities as well in Central and South America are um, are represented as well. I mean, when you hear that the community of Ecuador that has a limited number of Jews, and again, mm-hmm. you're, and again, you're right that there are cities in the U.S. that that also have leadership but have limited number. I get that. But still, to us, you know, coming from this area of the world, when we hear about Ecuador and the efforts that are being made there to really inspire people and to get Jewish youth, the limited Jewish youth, into you know the in, into the Jewish spirit and into Jewish education and all this, again, I know in North America it's a sacrifice. For some reason, there it seems to us it's an even larger one. A hundred percent. When the just you know when uh, when the idea. You know, in Teaneck, when you want to decide which restaurant you you, you, you go to your status, you know, you have to wait in line because there's only 30 restaurants to choose from. You know, in Ecuador, the definition of a restaurant is your kitchen. Right. Um, and if you do something really special, you turn the synagogue into, um, you know, a restaurant for a night. Or one of the places, because we sent a large group there, they actually went to one of the non-kosher restaurants and they made it kosher for a night. And the guy realized that the business was so good that he agreed to think, uh, on a trial period to perhaps uh, create a kosher restaurant there. So, I mean, there's always... But, but yes, the, the struggles there are so intense. Um, but I, I just see people's inspiration, both the leadership, these young couples uh, who are willing to give of themselves and of their children, but I also see these Jews who have decided whether they live in Ecuador or San Salvador or Cancun. I mean, Cancun has a community of 50 religious families. They never have a challenge with a minion three times a day. That's an unbelievable statement that they're making. You know, I'm not sure that mid-sized communities um, can, can make that statement. There's just a selflessness here. I am shocked and by that. The rabbinic couples here are just making a transformational difference. And my hope is that the next stage is that they bring this energy back to Israel and bring this creativity back to Israel and continue to make a difference there. I know that the I, I, what I'm about to ask is not really the focus of this conversation because we're talking more about the efforts that are going on in these areas and the issues that they are facing, which you described so well. But I'm just so curious, where do you find people? To go to Guatemala City, I and mean, where 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 are you finding these these couples and families to dedicate themselves to to places that are uh, that are you know to us again far flung and uh, and and not as attractive as some others around the world? Well, I think that's because of the very talented staff of Amiel, um, you know, Rabbi Birnbaum and Rabbi Benji and Rabbi Grunstein, as well as Rav Dani and uh, Rabbi Nit Ranana who have a really a strong reputation in Israel of 
creating a program that trains people and making sure that when they go out to Chutzlaret, um, when they go out to the diaspora, that they really have a supportive infrastructure. And therefore, we go to the various yeshivot has their the various mechinot, um, the various midrashot, the mechalot, um, and we run and we run days of recruitment, and no different than you know you would run it for anything else of that nature. Right. And we have a whole bunch of people that apply f- to become part of our groups. We have around 35 uh, rabbinic couples in a class, um, and we decide which we feel we can train and which we feel we can't train. My hope is, because we have more requests than we have uh, people in the program, my hope is over the next few years that we double that number. It's not uh, cheap to train uh, these young people and to keep up with them. And also keep in mind there's one other thing. Sometimes they can have challenges once they're there. There are the standard challenges, but, for example, there are two couples here who uh, their spouses, uh, while they're in Chutzlaret, um they they have you know it's been um they've been informed that they have cancer so you have a a couple in denver and a couple in uh, in monterey um and uh, that's a whole new set of challenges when you've left your comfort zone and you're in a totally different place and all of a sudden you know you're informed that you have a medical condition and thank god the communities have been there for them with excellent care but we're also making sure that they're taken care of so wow. the whole infrastructure is, is critical, both from the spiritual and their, and their physical needs. Rabbi Dr. Kenny Brander is with us live via telephone from Cancun, an amazing and incredible program being led by Ortora Stone. Um, recently, and we know how outspoken you and the leadership of Ortora Stone, or Riskin certainly, and uh, many others, uh, many uh, of rabbinic authority affiliated with the, uh, with the yeshiva and, um, and program, uh, have taken and the stand you've taken when it comes to Agunot and trying to help women who are in very difficult and uh, and challenging situations. Um, bring us up to date on the most recent case that Oratora Stone has been involved with that, in, that included the uh, Rabbanut, the, uh, the rabbinic presidium of the state of Israel, and uh, how it affected the, how it hopefully uh, affected and will further affect uh, the the couple in question. Well, I think that's an extremely important uh, important question. I mean, thanks to the leadership of Rabbi Riskin and uh, a tremendous dedicated staff at one of our institutions called Yad Isha and the Mon- Monica Dennis Goldberg uh, adv- Advocacy Program, you know, every single year we deal with around 700 women who are um, struggling with receiving a get to give them legal counseling. And we work with around 150 of them in the various Jewish courts uh, to deal with the issue of Aguna. And one of the most recent cases, not the most recent, some of the more recent cases, including one that was solved yesterday, I can't discuss publicly, but this one I can discuss. And that was, there was a couple that was married 10 years ago, and after the woman was halakhically converted, they were married after the woman was halakhically converted, and in 2001, 2011, they made Aliyah with one child from India. Right. Before they made Aliyah and even afterwards, the woman was severely abused by her husband. In fact, in Israel, she was once hospitalized, and the police were called to some of the incidents. Three years ago, she sued for divorce. The husband asked for reconciliation. The bait didn't agree that maybe try to give it a second chance. 
he agreed to cease the to stop the physical and the verbal abuse, but he didn't honor his commitment. The wife needed to leave home, and ten months ago, the big din said that she must uh, be given a get, and the husband refused. He said, "I'll give a get only if she gives up or her property rights." You know the standard uh, forms of additional abuse, not only verbal and not only physical, but financial abuse in order to get a get. Right. And she said no. And under the leadership of one of our Toanot, Rabbaniot, and that's women who have been trained in the laws and the halachot of the Ezer to be able to represent women in the Jewish court systems and the Rabbanut system. And the Rabbanut, to their credit, recognizes these women advocates as serious halachic personalities. I've heard that from both the chief rabbi, Rabbi Lau, as well as the people responsible for the Agunot. They, she came up with an idea, and that is that this particular husband, you know, he has a public works job. He is a driver for EGED, and EGED is a government-sponsored government institution. And the rule is that a government worker can't violate the law. And by not giving a get, and since the rabbinical courts are legal courts, he was violating family law. And therefore, we went to the rabbinical courts and we said, we are asking you, we are demanding of you, that you indicate to the Egghead company that this man is in violation of the law. And if he doesn't give a get within 30 days, he needs to be fired. The Rabbanut immediately thought that this was a great idea, wow. to their credit. And it was in all the newspapers. And around a week ago, they informed Egged and this man that if he doesn't give a get now in you know, three weeks, uh, he will be terminated from his position as a bus driver for Egged, which is a pretty nice position to have. Right. It's a good decision, not hopefully because it will get her a get, but it's just a good decision because it is showing the ability for the Rabbanut and for women advocacy groups like Yad Isha to begin to be proactive. And we need to be more proactive, not just for women who are Gunot. We need to promote the prenuptial agreement like there is in, you know, in, in Chutzmaret, like there is in North America. We need to be proactive. There are hundreds of women's who are Agunot, I think this not only affects those couples, Nahum, I think it affects how Jews look at Judaism in Israel, because they hear this issue of Agunah, and it's a moral outrage. And that's why there are less couples getting married through the rabbinical courts, because they just don't believe that it has the proper insurance, so to say, to make sure that if they're in a crisis, it can be dealt with. What a very so, important point. What a very right. important point. So we're we're very focused on this idea, and hopefully we have friends within the Rabbanut. I believe we do. I think Chief Rabbi Lau is a friend. Uh, we're 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 advocating and pushing very strongly. At the same time, because we're outside the system, we can also do things and advocate in ways that not always the Rabbanut feels is friendly, but uh, it's to achieve a larger goal of uh, saving women and inspiring and being sanctifying God's name. Amazing. All right, Dr. Kenneth Brander, um, he is now in Cancun, part of a conference of 42 of the North, Central, and South American emissary shlichim 
uh, to this side of the world, addressing ways to tackle critical issues affecting mainly smaller diaspora Jewish communities, and the list just gets larger and larger when it comes to those difficulties and challenges, and thank God we have good people in place dealing with them. All right, Brander, continued success with the conference, and of course heading back... And Nachum, continue yeah. to be an advocate for us all over the world. I can just tell you that in Katamon, uh, your show is listened to on a regular basis. Uh, you can walk down the street in Katamon and sometimes hear from the open windows the Nachum Siegel Network. So I don't know if that's true in Beresheva, but it's definitely true in Katamon. Greatly appreciate that. And my cousins in Beresheva, I'm sure, would confirm it. So <laughs> thank you so much, Ryan Brander. Be well, and thanks for joining okay. us. Okay. Right, take care, Nachum. Right, Dr. Kenneth Brander from Cancun, of all places, with a very important update. From our friends at Artura Stone here at JM in the AM. 12 minutes after 8 o'clock on this Purim cut on morning at JM in the AM. <laughs> 